0: this time I'm going to give the pulpit over to District Superintendent David Thompson as he brings us the word of God. Well, good morning. I'm glad to be with y'all this morning. Um, I, uh, I am your district superintendent. That means I spend a lot of time on I 95. Uh, I cover the Methodist churches from the South Carolina border to the Florida border. And I got that little part of Georgia that Dips down into Florida, so y'all just pray for me as I uh, stay on the road. Um, I, I feel like that song that we just sang about "I'll Fly Away" is is exactly my life right now because as soon as I'm done here, I've got to be down at the Korean Methodist Church in downtown Savannah at 12:15. So, um, so I won't be giving you my usual two-hour sermon. Somebody say Amen, okay? Amen. Um, I want to share with you from Hebrews chapter 12, and I've told people I'm slow. You know, and and if God wants to get my attention, he's got to tell me something multiple times. And and my wife tells me the same thing, but, you know, someone say amen. You know what I'm talking about. So this is a scripture that God has just, I mean, literally pounded into my heart and soul. Um, It has come from friends it's come in random texts you know from people saying i'm just praying and you know this is what the lord laid on my heart for you it's come in on the radio at the key moments it's it's come in sermons that i've heard um in my own devotional schedule of life i mean just so many places and you know after about the fourth time i'm kind of like okay lord i'm listening and so i've really been dwelling in hebrews Uh, the, the whole book of Hebrews, but particularly 12, Hebrews 12, verses 1 through 3. So will you hear the word of the Lord this morning? Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. How how many of you, perhaps in the last 18 months at some point, have grown weary or lost heart? How, How many are out there this morning that, you know, It's been a tough time. I think this is a tough time in the life of the church. It's certainly a tough time in our nation, um, in our world. Um, It's a discouraging time. And this scripture talks about not growing weary as God's people and not losing heart. Um, You know, I wanna tell you a story. When I was at uh, Asbury Seminary, I was engaged to a young lady Um, who was uh, at the University of Pittsburgh Medical School. We had gone to college together, uh, dated for uh, almost four years, and uh, and gotten engaged. Um, Towards the end of my first year of seminary, uh, she was pursuing the the medical career. I was pursuing seminary at this point um, and to move into pastoral ministry and mission ministry. And the night before the finals week at the end of our first year the the night before my finals began i got a phone call and it was on you know the payphone some of you are like we don't even know what a payphone is but it was on the payphone that was in the hallway for the dorm okay this kind of you know i'm that old i got it yeah. all right so i went to the payphone someone said you got a call you know i went to the payphone and i grabbed the i grabbed the phone and it was my fiance and she informed me that she just didn't feel like she could be married to a preacher and did not want to go overseas to be in the mission field and that this was the end of the relationship and she was sending the ring back. I thought, wow, you've got really lousy timing because my finals start tomorrow. And it was, it was a tough time for me. I had a plan in my mind. We were going to get married. You know, we, we had dated. We got engaged. We were going to get married. You know, There was this whole plan that I had laid out in my mind. And none of that came to pass. And I'm so incredibly thankful. I wanna tell you that I didn't get what I wanted and what I planned for. Can someone just say amen this morning? There are times in life when we don't get what we wanted and what we planned for, and we need to be eternally grateful. I am married to the love of my life, my soulmate, my partner in ministry, Jennifer Thompson, and we've been married over 30 years blessed with three children just love where we're at in life and i got that blessing because it wasn't my plan so want say amen it was god's plan sometimes you know we we want our plan we we like our way how many of you how many of you like to have your way don't elbow your spouse okay i'm just saying we're all sinners we all want our own will to be done. You know, that's why I think that prayer, the Lord's Prayer, is so crucial for us. Not my will, but thine be done. Not my will. You know, I'm, I'm saying no to what I want. Because often what I want and what I have planned and what I'm thinking is going to happen and how I think things are going to play out are the furthest things from reality. If you'd have told me five years ago that there was going to be a worldwide viral pandemic, we we're all going to get locked in our homes, couldn't stand around with each other, couldn't be with each other, and we were going to close church, you know, and have to go online. If you'd have told me that, I'd have said, you're crazy. It's not crazy, is it? It's how things played out. It's the reality of the, the world that we live in. None of us planned for that. Amen. None of us wanted that, and yet, that's what we got. How many of you are at a place in life where, you know, if if you said, if you could talk to your younger self 20 years ago, how many of you would go back and say, I'm exactly where you planned for me to be 20 years ago? How many of you are in that place where you thought you would be 20 years later? If you are, you need to come preach because I want to know what you're doing. But most of us are not in the place where we thought we would end up. Amen? Life has not brought us the things that we wanted. Life hasn't given us what we expected. And many times there are things that other people do that negatively impact us. Am am I speaking the truth out there? All right. So, you know, we, we live in this world where our expectations don't get met. And sometimes I just have to say to you, praise jesus those expectations don't get met praise god we didn't get what we wanted or when we wanted it or how we wanted it but it's hard for us when we're on the front side of that you know hindsight is 2020. but when you're in the middle of that you know when i was on that right on the edge and Teresa, this young lady had had dumped me the night before finals okay it was pretty devastating it's pretty devastating pretty hard. I didn't, I didn't understand what was going on. I didn't understand how that could play out for my own good, especially the week of finals. I'm like, could you not have waited like one more week? You know, uh, just all the thoughts that went on in my mind, like it it shouldn't have been that way. You know, this isn't what I had planned, but praise God, God had a plan to redeem it. When we are in the middle of those situations and things are not going according to our plan. It gets to be pretty difficult for us, and that's when we can grow weary and lose heart. I think about situations in life where my plan didn't unfold the way that I wanted it to. I I told somebody up here just a few moments ago, if 30 years ago when I got ordained and and became a part of full-time ministry in the Methodist Church, I thought we would be at a point where the denomination was disintegrating and we were dealing with the issues that we were dealing with, I said, that's just not going to happen. It's not like that, and yet here we are in this world in which we live today. This scripture is is really interesting, and I'm not a I'm not a Greek scholar, but I want to I want to dive in just to two Greek words that are here because there's a play on words in the Greek. There's a little bit of poetry that's going on in this in these verses in Hebrew. Um, it says, "Therefore, since we are surrounded." And that's one of the words I want to look at by such a great cloud of witnesses. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. And that's the other word. And, and this word surrounded, it, it, it's the word epichymenon or perichymenon, depending on which version you look at. Um, perichymenon, like we use the word in English, peripheral. Everything that's around you, outside of you, is peripheral. It's around you. This word, perichymenon, means the things that are located right all around you. They surround you. Above you, below you, beside you, behind you, in front of you. We are surrounded. Perichymenon, epichymenon. We are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. That's one of the things in our Apostles' Creed. We believe in the communion of saints. I believe that this church is full this morning. Amen. Some of you are physically present in a bodily way. Some of you are questionable even, but but there are those who are here this morning with us in the communion of saints who have gone before us that are with us. I believe in that communion of saints. And it says, since we're surrounded by that cloud of witnesses throughout all of history, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. This word hinders and entangles, it's a fishing term. It's really interesting because it's not the usual terms that you would use uh, in the Greek. It's a fishing term, and it says hinders and entangles. It's, it's the fishing term of a net, like when a fish goes into the net. What, what happens when the fish is caught in the net and you pull the net up? What does the fish do? Flop yeah, it flops around. And what does that do for the fish? It just makes it worse, doesn't it? They get more tangled in the net. They they get they flop around in the net and they get tangled. This is that idea. Sin entangles us. And what do we do when we're trying to get out of a situation in our own strength and our own power? We're flopping around. And all we end up doing is making the situation worse. Someone say amen. And so we flop around and, and we're entangled in sin and it's and it also says the things that hinder, the things that trap us, the things that prevent us from going where we need to be. The author says, since we're surrounded by those witnesses, throw off everything. Come out of that. Step out. Get away from the things that hinder you from going where God is calling you to be. And the sin that entangles you so easily. Walk away from it. Because we're called to move away from those things, and then he says, "And let us run with perseverance the race." And here's this other word marked out for us. It's uh, prokimenon. Same word with a different uh, prefix at the beginning. Prokimenon. It means the thing that's set right in front of you. Prokimenon. The thing that's placed right in front of you. Um, and so often in life. We want to have a big picture. Amen? I would love to be able to say how the next 10 years are going to play out in my life, in the life of Alpha, in the life of the church. I mean, if I did that, I'd, I'd, I'd probably be very wealthy if I knew all the answers to those questions. I, would, I think I would like that. Now, I'm, I'm glad I don't know all of that. Someone just say amen. I'm glad I don't have that picture. But our desire is to know the whole path. And, and it says here, run the race that's marked out for us. So many of us want the brochure that shows where the beginning of the race is and what's along every curve and where the curves and bends are and where the refreshment stops are and where the breaks are and, you know, where there are challenges in the race, all the way to the last part where the finish line is. And we want to see that whole path that gets us to the end. Amen? God says, I'm not going to give you that. I've called you to run the race that's set in front of you, right in front of you. You're called, you and I are called, to run the race that's right in front of us. It means we're called to take the next step. We're called to take the next step. And when we get to that next step, God will show us what the next step is. And when we get to that next step, God will show us what the next step is. He's not going to give us the whole picture and all plan, despite what we might want. And I think that's for our own good. So many times we want to know the whole path on how we're going to get there from start to finish. God says, I'm just calling you to take the next step. But I have to say, some of us are entangled in sin, be it attitudes that we have, be it things that we have in our life that are more important than what God is calling us to. There are things that we need to throw off or escape from in order to not be entangled so that we can take the next step of life in Christ. Some folks in the church... When I ask them to tell me, you know, what's God doing in your life right now? They go, well, I was saved 35 years ago. I'm like, Well, I'm glad you were saved 35 years ago. But if God hasn't done anything else in your life in those 35 years and there's nothing happening right now, and he's not calling you to take whatever that next step is right now, there's a problem. Because you might be saved, but you're definitely not a disciple. Disciples are called to follow, and following means you take a step at a time to follow the one who is leading in front of you. Someone say amen. We're called to take the next step. We're not called to get the whole race down pat. We're called to take the next step. There's a part that plays in this for me that's so powerful. And if you go back into the Old Testament um, and you look at Joseph, Joseph is uh, is just a, a great character in the Old Testament, in the book of Genesis. And Joseph really got a pretty raw deal. Um, I, you know, uh, anybody come from a dysfunctional family? You don't have to raise your hand, but I'll raise mine. I come from a dysfunctional family. Um, if you think your family's dysfunctional, go back and read about Joseph's family. You'll feel so much better about your own. I mean, it's just the truth. So Joseph is one of 12 brothers, and They all decide, except for one who who kind of consents, they all decide that they're going to beat him up and kill him. Now, I don't know about you, but if your 11 brothers all said, you know, hey, we're going to kill you, that's pretty bad to be in that situation. His 11 brothers wanted to kill him. One of them said, hey, let's not kill him. Let's just, like, beat him up and throw him in the pit, And then they sold him into slavery as there were slave traders coming by. I mean, not much improvement. I guess better slave than dead. But, you know, this is the family that Joseph grew up in. His own brothers beat him up, were going to kill him. They threw him in a pit. They took his cloak. They smeared animal blood all over it. They took it home to their dad and they said, wild animals got him. He's dead when what they'd really done was they sold him into slavery. And Joseph goes off, gets carted off to be a slave in Egypt. That's pretty bad, pretty raw deal. I can't help but imagine Joseph saying, God, this is not what I had planned. This is not how I saw all of this playing out for me. This isn't what what's supposed to happen. Somebody say amen. And, and the poor fellow ends up working in Potiphar's house. And the lady of the house, Potiphar's wife, thinks he's really cute. She gets kind of sweet on him, and she starts to put the moves on him. And Joseph's like, no, 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 no. I'm a servant in the house. I'm, I'm a child of God. I'm not doing that. So she, she, one day when Potiphar's not home, she goes after him, and she wants to force herself on him. And he runs away, and as he runs away, she grabs the, the cloak that he's wearing around his shoulders. And Potiphar comes home, and she says, That servant of yours, Joseph, tried to violate me. And here's his cloak and he ran away. You know where Joseph ends up? Falsely accused, rotting in prison for seven years. I don't know about you, but if I'd grown up and my brothers had beat me up, threw me in a pit, sold me into slavery, I went to be a slave, and then I got thrown into a prison in Egypt, I'd be pretty bitter. Can someone just say amen? This is where he is. and and. I can't help but thinking at some point in his life, he would have said, this isn't what I had planned. This is not how I saw life playing out for me. But because of some circumstances in the prison, because he's faithful, he gains a reputation for being able to interpret dreams. And when none of Pharaoh's wise men can interpret the dreams, somebody says, hey, Joseph in prison can interpret the dreams. And they call Joseph and he interprets dream for Pharaoh, that's the 7 Uh, seven fat cows and seven lean cows. It's talking about seven years of great abundance in 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 Egypt. And then there's going to be seven years of famine in the ancient Near East. And because of that, Pharaoh puts Joseph in charge of planning. He puts him second in charge of all of Egypt. He becomes the vice Pharaoh. That's a pretty sweet deal the vice pharaoh, if you will, of all of Egypt, and he plans so that they can get through this period of starvation that's coming. During that seven years of starvation, guess who shows up asking for food from Egypt? The brothers who beat him up and threw him in the pit. I'm enough of a South Georgia boy that I would just say, oh yeah, this is gonna be real sweet. It's payback time. Somebody say amen. I'm not the only sinner in church this morning, am I? Okay. So, but what does he do? He plays around with them a little bit just to see if they're genuine. And he comes to this verse in chapter 50 of Genesis, verse 20. And he says these words, You intended to harm me. You meant it for evil. But God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the salvation of many. There are times in life where people will do things to you that they meant to harm you. But God will turn it around for not only your good, but for the good of others. Somebody say amen. This, this symbol, this was a a gas chamber. This was the electric chair. This was the, the, the noose of the day. It was a symbol of oppression and hatred and domination and and execution. It was the means that they executed criminals in the most vile way in the Roman world. It was a symbol to be feared. People hated that symbol. (laughs) What is it for us now? It is the symbol of the single most important best thing that changed everything for the people of God. Someone say amen. It's a symbol of hope, of life, of salvation, of the love of God. Only God in heaven can take an electric chair and change it into the symbol of greatest hope for his people. Amen. Only God can part the sea and let the Israelites walk across on what dry land. I don't know if you ever you try to walk through the marsh out here. it's not dry land. you're gonna sink. Man, the Israelites, when they crossed the Red Sea, it was dry land. And not only did they cross on dry land, when Pharaoh's army came after them, they got covered up and they all drowned. Only God can do those kinds of things. That is the God who is helping to order our steps. And he says, run the race that's marked out right in front of you. There is a step for every single person in this room today there is something that God is calling you to do to take the next step in your race. And you are to throw off the things that hinder and the sin that entangles and be bold enough to take that next step. You're not going to get the whole picture. It says, thy lamp is a word unto my what? What Feet. not a stadium light bulb to my whole pathway a lamp for my feet. I can see what's clear right in front of me. Next step. God is calling you to take the next step in your life. Throw off the sin that easily entangles and the things that hinder you. Take the next step. I promise you, if you take the next step, things may not look any better at that next spot. I don't think when Joseph went from being a slave in Potiphar's house to being a prisoner. In the, in, the, in the jail, I don't think he thought, well, I'm glad that's over. It doesn't mean that the next step, everything's going to change and be miraculously better. It just means that God is calling you to take the next step. And when you get somewhere down the line, you will see that all along, everything you've been going through, God will redeem. Somebody say amen. It's who he is. So I don't know where you are this morning. I don't know what... What's going on in your life? I don't know what's got you stuck where you are in your personal life, in your life with Christ, in your life with your family, in your life of relationships. But if you're like the next human being sitting next to you, there's some place where you're stuck, you're caught. And it's easy to lose heart. It's easy to grow weary and just to give up. And Scripture says, consider him, Jesus who endured all that opposition from sinners. And don't grow weary and don't lose heart. Take the next step. Let us pray. God, you call us to take the next step. So often we're afraid. Fear dominates us. We're afraid to take the next step. We're afraid to step out in faith. We're, we're afraid to... Move into that place where you call us to, so we'd just much rather stay right where we are, which is entangled and hindered. Come, Holy Spirit, and speak to your people. Set us free from that which hinders and in the sin that entangles, and guide us to take the step that is set before us. We pray in the name of Jesus and for his sake and all God's people said.